Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts it's monday july 11th i'm oscar ramirez in los angeles and this is the daily dive Driven by mass migrations of both workers and employers, red states have been winning the post-pandemic economic recovery over blue states. Not really a move because of political preferences, workers left for financial and lifestyle reasons, such as cheaper housing, less COVID restrictions, and lower taxes. Biggest winners are Florida, Texas, and North Carolina, while California, New York, and Illinois have lost the greatest number of residents. Josh Mitchell, reporter at the Wall Street Journal, joins us for how red states have had quicker recoveries. Next, we'll tell you about Jonathan Mitchell, the architect of the Texas abortion law. Known by many to be a very bright legal mind, his legal theories and court cases have laid the groundwork which brought down Roe v. Wade. Looking ahead to what is next, he has jumped into other lawsuits over everything from a contraceptive mandate to affirmative action and same-sex marriage. His theories are based in textualism, which basically refers to the thought that if a constitutional right is not mentioned in the constitutional text, then it doesn't exist. Lauren Magahi, investigative reporter at the Dallas Morning News, joins us for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. If you look at the fastest recovering states from the pandemic, top 10 were all Republican. The ones that struggled the most, the bottom 10, they were all Democrat. The red state recovery was much better because it's our policies that helped people live a more normal life and then rebound faster from the pandemic. Joining us now is Josh Mitchell, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Josh. Thanks. Well, when we're looking at uh, the pandemic recovery, the post-pandemic recovery, a lot of that has changed is kind of the geography of what's going on with the economy. And we're looking at red states versus blue states right now. There's a lot of different things beyond, let's say, the political motivations and all that. But we're seeing that a lot of red states have recovered faster economically than Democratic-leaning blue states. We're looking at people moving away from the coasts, going to the middle of the country, and Florida. Florida is one of the big winners throughout all of this. So, Josh, what are we seeing in the numbers on this? First of all, if you just look at jobs over the past couple of years during the pandemic, red states have gained a greater share 
of U.S. jobs than blue states have. And by the way, we define blue states based on an index that the Cook Political Report uses, which is based on how states voted in the past two presidential elections. And so red states have gained more jobs. But not only that, if you look at a range of things that help determine what the economy is doing, whether it's restaurant reservations, whether it's retail sales, whether it's GDP, red states are recovering much more quickly than blue states have. And so one of the big things that's driving this is that a lot of people have simply moved from California, New York, Illinois, to the middle of the country, Nashville, Texas, various cities in Texas, and also Florida. And so you, what we've seen is this sort of mass migration during the pandemic of workers, as well as employers who are moving from those blue states to red states. It's the people that are moving, buying homes, spurring what the local economy has there. But yeah, those businesses as well, attracting more workers and all that. So there's a lot of stuff going on there. And, you know, kind of what you're saying, right? Florida, Texas, North Carolina, uh, all leading, uh, getting more people. States that lost a lot of people, California, New York, Illinois. And a lot of this has to be, uh, is due to remote work and the possibilities that happen throughout the pandemic, right? A lot of companies said, okay, work from home. A lot of companies made some of that stuff permanent, really allowed their their employees to move throughout the country and be wherever they wanted. And we've heard about that, right? The great resignation, uh, work-life balance. Everybody really wanted to, to make, get that perfect life going. And they found that in a lot of these red states, lower taxes, less COVID restrictions, that's what, uh, that's what they wanted. Yeah, you know, and just to clarify, you know, some of these things are pre-existing trends. So, like, for example, California... You know, there, there were already businesses that were starting to leave California just because it, it became too expensive, uh, San Francisco. And this, this tends to happen in the broader e- economy. Things get too expensive at some point. They hit, a, they hit an inflection point. And then people move to other places that are a little bit cheaper or they move to other states or then they move to other cities nearby. And so some of what's happening is exacerbating pre-existing trends. But I think what's important that happened during the pandemic is anytime you move to a a city or an urban area, you make a calculus as to how much stuff you're willing to put up with. You know, we, we often complain. And by we, I talk about myself who's lived in Washington, DC, you know, for the past 20 years, we complain about the cost of living in places like DC, but you know, a lot of people like myself are willing to pay that because DC has a lot of cool things to offer that maybe other places don't. And so, for years, there was this calculus that workers made, which is, okay, look, if I'm going to pay this high rent in New York City, at least I have access to Broadway shows. At least I have access to a good food scene. You know, at least I have access to a subway that can take me to other areas of the city that are fun, you know, that offer things to explore. But the pandemic shut down a lot of these cities. And all of a sudden, the calculus changed. All of a sudden, I think a lot of people said, wait a minute, why am I paying all this high rent if now I no longer have access to the amenities that made the high cost worth it? And so you, you take that, the calculus changed, and then you had people, a small but significant part of the population, who could suddenly work from home. And they said, wait a minute, if I could take my paycheck, if I'm earning 150, 200,000 in New York or California, I can take that to Florida where there's no income tax, where the housing is cheaper, and I can live like a king. 
especially when we're looking at home prices, right? A lot of people wanted to leave that bigger home. You can work from home, have that office. In the 10 states that gained the most people in the time periods we're looking at, the typical home costs 23% less than a typical home in the 10 states that lost the most residents to these moves. So, I mean, you know, that these home prices, the taxes uh, that you were talking about right now, just huge drivers of these migrations and, and and the companies that followed too, right? They're also looking for those tax breaks that they can get in some of these states. Yeah, I was talking to some companies about this and, you know, and they basically said, I talked to a few that were in California and they said, look, you know, early on we gave our workers the option to work from home so they could work from anywhere, which meant we no longer needed to rent out this office space for 900 employees in Pasadena, California. That was costing us a lot. Let's just rent out a much smaller office in Austin, Texas, our rent's going to be a lot cheaper. You know, all of the cost associated with keeping offices open is going to be a lot cheaper. And also we can, you know, better recruit employees around the country who might no longer be willing to live in California. Now we can give them the option. And it's going to help us find workers in this tight jobs market. So there are, there are employers who are also cutting their own costs through the pandemic. Uh, for now, Red State's winning the post-pandemic economy. Josh Mitchell, reporter at The Wall Street Journal, thank you very much for joining us. Sure thing. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Parents, ready to discover a new educational and interactive podcast for kids? Join Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids, where episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We learned how to recycle at the beach. That was great fun. Callie, what do you say? It was. And that time when we did the science experiment and Billy made raisins dance. so cool, Billy. He did. <laughs> Not to mention when a certain Elliot took up swimming classes with Lisa. That was me! <laughs> Bet you can't catch me. I'm going to get you. All this fun and more in our Stories for Kids. Lingo Kids Stories for Kids is now available on StoryButton, the kid-friendly device for screenless podcast listening. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, in America, the right to equal protection of the laws is being extended 
to that innocent unborn baby growing inside her mother's womb. This is a big deal. Joining us now is Lauren McGahey, investigative reporter at the Dallas Morning News. Thanks for joining us, Lauren. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, we're all seeing kind of some of the after effects that are happening after Roe v. Wade was struck down. And obviously the questions always come, you know, what happens next? Uh, What can be down the pipeline? What are uh, activists working on other rights they might be working to dismantle possibly? So we look to uh, a man named Jonathan Mitchell, who was the architect of Senate Bill 8, which was the Texas abortion law there that uh, basically kind of deputizes citizens to go after people that are helping either getting abortions or providing the abortions and all that. Um, So this man, Jonathan Mitchell, uh, is setting his sights on a lot of other things. Uh, You know, I guess he's got over 50 lawsuits going right now that could possibly change a bunch of stuff. And what's at the center of this is a a legal thought called textualism. Basically, if something's not in the text of the Constitution, it's not an afforded right to somebody. And and so this kind of sets the basis for all of this stuff that's going on. So Lauren, help us walk through some of this. You were able to talk to Jonathan about, you know, what's going on, what he's trying to do. Well, you're right. He's a former Solicitor General of Texas, which is kind of the uh, highest appellate attorney in the state. And he's already argued some of these issues before state courts including same-sex marriage and abortion in the past when he was a state attorney. And now um, for the past four years, he's uh, had a private one-man law firm that he's opened in Austin, Texas, the capital of the state. And his goal explicitly is to go after Supreme Court rulings that he believed were wrongly decided based on his judicial uh, interpretations of what should be afforded under the Constitution under these beliefs like textualism and another belief called the uh, writ of erasure fallacy, which is actually something he came up with himself. And so what other things are we looking at? Uh, We got a hint of it from Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas when he said, you know, we should be looking at other rights that might be able to be overturned. You know, we're looking at Roe v. Wade. It had been precedent for so long. Nobody thought for a while that it would be overturned. And then Boom, here we are, right? So uh, what are we looking down the pipeline as possibilities that they could be coming for again? Mitchell has, like you said, he has about 50 active cases, and he's looking at a very broad range of issues. Two of his cases do deal with same-sex marriage. So that is one that was explicitly mentioned by Justice um, Thomas as a case that a ruling that should be revisited by the court. And Mitchell is also looking at other rulings regarding uh, various issues. You know, probably one of the ones that people are most familiar with are are things like um, affirmative action, race-based admission. So he has a couple of cases on that and whether that is constitutional or not. So it's a pretty broad gamut. The three cases that Justice Thomas mentioned in his uh, concurring opinion in the case that overturned Roe were the contraception, same-sex marriage, and Lawrence versus Texas, which was the case uh, out of Texas that overturned the state's ban on gay sex. So those were the three cases that uh, Justice Thomas mentioned should be revisited specifically. Tell me a little bit more about this shift to textualism, uh, this theory that he has, right? If it's not in the Constitution, then that right doesn't exist. And also kind of this notion, you know, and that's why when we talk about Supreme Court justices and the makeup of the court and how it leans and all that, why these 
types of things are so important. You know, another thing he says that obviously any decision that's made by the Supreme Court is temporary, really. You know, it can be revisited. It can be reversed if the right argument is made before the right set of justices. And as I mentioned, the makeup of the court constantly changes, you know, albeit slower. But still, he posits that obviously anything is up for grabs. Right. So when Justice Scalia died, there was still an understanding that the court looked at the Constitution as more of a living document, that precedent was very important, it should be adhered to in most cases, and that the interpretation of the words used in the document could shift over time based on social mores and our understanding of how our society understands things like liberty, things like freedom, you know, the right to privacy. But this focus on textualism has come because the makeup of the court has radically changed just within the last six years. We've had a number of new justices named, three by now former President Trump, and it has really shifted the way that the court looks at our founding documents. And now even liberal justices you know, like Elena Kagan have said, you know, she she famously said just a few years ago that we're all textualists now. And textualists truly, it's a broad spectrum. You know, there are really hardcore textualists and then there's more liberal minded textualists. So just being a textualist doesn't mean that you believe that you must adhere to the Constitution and the founding documents based only on the words. There's a spectrum of belief. But people like Jonathan Mitchell fall on the more hardcore end where they look at the document, they look at the words, and if there if there isn't a right explicitly afforded in the document, then they think that rulings based on an interpretation of those words are up for grabs because they believe that they were wrongly decided. And now they're making these cases, they're making this argument in front of a Supreme Court that is far more friendly to that idea and far more open to revisiting past precedent based on that concept. We're talking about Jonathan Mitchell, the architect behind Senate Bill 8 there in Texas, the Texas uh, abortion law there, and how he set his sights on other things, other things, other rights that might not have been afforded in the text of the Constitution. Tell me a little bit more about what people say about Mitchell himself. You know, obviously they say he's a bright legal mind, a, a, a very nice man as well. And he, for himself, right, he doesn't say he has any animus towards any people. He's just really all about getting back to the Constitution. Yeah, I spoke to a number of people who have interacted with Mitchell over the years, longtime friends, adversaries in the court, et cetera. And, you know, most of them describe him as a very um, amiable person, you know, not bombastic, not, you know, someone that is a big, larger than life personality who wants a lot of attention. In fact, he's incredibly private. He's flown mostly under the radar, even though he was behind Texas's abortion bounty law and a number of local efforts to outlaw abortion and create these so-called sanctuary cities for life here in Texas. He's pretty much been able to keep a low profile, and that's because he doesn't really seek the limelight. He doesn't see the point in seeking the limelight. Some of his friends described him as as kind of like a, a happy warrior. And he himself said that his legal cases are not based on, he, he said it's, they're not based on religious belief, you know, like a dominionist underpinning. And, and he also told me that they're not based on political belief. However, he does align himself with groups that have a very strong 
either religious or political bent. I'm talking about groups aligned with former President Donald Trump on Trump on immigration that are led by former Trump appointees and allies and with groups that are very vocally anti-gay and do not hide the fact that they are vocally anti-gay because of their religious underpinnings. So while he says this is about, from his view, looking at these cases from his perspective, his textualist background, you know, his opponents say, you can't run away from the the folks that tie yourself along with. And some of them are very open about how they feel about LGBT folks and expanding gay rights and things of that ilk. Yeah, and obviously, you know, he has a lot of supporters and the work that he's doing and, you know, it's paying off. Obviously, we're seeing what's happening, the effects of things like this. But opponents to all of this say, you know, there's a lot of real world consequences when you start taking away rights that we've already given to people, especially when we when it comes to things like same sex marriage and, and, and whatnot. You know, there's already been millions of people that have been married over this and you know uh, they've made lives uh, and wills and and had children and all that you know what happens if those rights are taken away now you know one of his things is always saying well let's leave it to the states and states can make those laws and all that but you know working on the federal level this is kind of where they're going but as i mentioned the, the opponents say there's a lot of real world consequences that aren't being looked at here That's right. You mentioned same-sex marriage, and there is a real something that consideration that the court looks at. They're called reliance interests, which is basically just how would you or I come to rely on a Supreme Court ruling to live our lives? And when we talk about marriage, you know that there's a whole host of decisions that people make after they're married uh, or before they're married. But, you know, some of his opponents also warn that once we get into this kind of disregarding the real world consequences of overturning previous rulings, then they warn of kind of a slippery slope. You know, are we going to be talking about overturning contraception access rulings? What about mandatory sterilization? What about racial segregation? If you look at the Constitution as as a literal document, there would be potentially some pretty difficult discussions we would have to have about some of the big landmark cases that have occurred in the last 50, 100 years. So I think, you know, Mitchell himself says he doesn't take seriously concerns over things like overturning access to contraception or even overturning bans on gay sex. He said, no no one's going to want to do that. No states are going to want to do that. But in actuality, we've actually seen prosecutors in some of these conservative states even after the bans on sodomy were overturned, go after gay men for having consensual sex. And this was because these laws still remain on the books, even though they're unenforceable. And as long as they remain there, if those rulings are revisited, they could in future be enforced again. And so it's all very real, especially for people who, who might get caught up in these discussions in the next 10 or 20 years with the court that we now have. Well, we'll continue to monitor all this stuff, right? It's a lot of important questions and discussions that come after, especially something like Roe v. Wade being overturned. And, you know, these are the next steps and these are the people that are working behind some of those efforts there. Lauren Magahi, investigative reporter at the Dallas Morning News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at First, first Listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. Our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block, and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.